cracks are finally beginning to show. We sold Shook to a Bayer Leverkusen podcast for 21 million pounds. Now we can't do a pod on time and Arsenal are dropping points against Fulham. Welcome into a podcast that really has to be somebody's favorite. I'm your host, FFG. Joining me as always, following a disappointing 2-2 draw to Fulham, it's Nomics. Yeah, uh, uh, indifferent to be here, but like FFG mentioned, we are the Abba stuck in traffic of podcasts, uh, considering we did not review last week, uh, well, last week's match against Palace. So I think we we might as well just start there, don't you think? Uh, I I was going to start by campaigning for my move to a Saudi Pro League podcast, but uh, we can can save that to the end, actually. You know, I'm not quite on strike yet. The window's a little later for that league, so I think we can start... With Crystal Palace, uh, the the thrilling victory before the thrilling draw, of course, you know, some would sense a pattern here if you're into such things. Kind of the first three games of the season, all a little close for comfort, finally ending with drop points at home against Fulham. But you're right, let's, let's start in greener pastures, Nomics. one nothing win over Palace in a game that had Arsenal down at 10 men for the last half hour or so. Uh, following a Takahiro Tomiyasu double yellow that we simply do not need to discuss because it has been discussed to death as a uh, travesty of justice. Real quick, we're not doing the full section on it here, but what are your overall thoughts on Arsenal 1, Crystal Palace 0? Yeah, uh, we played amazing, I thought. Um, I know it's one of those matches similar to the Forest game where you feel like shit after it and then you rewatch it and you go, oh crap, we're actually fucking good. Uh, we should have been 2-0 up before the first half ended. Eddie had two great chances. Uh, and we're, we're feeling a lot different if it's 2-0 up at halftime. Uh, we got a yellow card for Tomi Asu holding the ball for four seconds. And then he got a yellow card for not touching Andre Ayu. Meanwhile, just glancing over quickly, Andre Ayu, Andre Ayu is just tackling everyone around the pitch. Or was it Jordan Ayu? They have Jordan Ayu at Palace. Whatever I, I, I was going to hop in for name that Ayu. Whatever, whatever my Ayu is. Uh, Andre Ayu just rolls off the tongue better, so I'm going to call him Andre Ayu. Uh, he was just tackling people around the pitch, getting yellow cards for fun, and then not actually getting a second yellow. But yeah, we played really well. When we went down on man, we played very astute. We played very uh, confident, especially when Jorginho and, and Zinchenko came on. We played, we were just pinging it around them. And it was it was a good result. I think two, or was it one nil, isn't really, uh, isn't really indicative of how well we played. But we liked the Forest game. We played very well, but we just can't finish. Um, and I would say Jesus will fix that, but we all know he's a king of BCMs. Yeah, I guess I largely will agree with your thoughts on that one, Namik. Certainly could have been 2-0 before halftime. And I, I felt a certain confidence in that one where if we hadn't gone down to 10 men, I really think a second and third goal in pseudo-garbage time was really on the way there. And I wonder if that would have helped confidence-wise everybody. Uh, This might be a team lacking in confidence a little around the box, and that might be a sign of why the finishing's gone so rotten. Uh, I think in large strokes, I'm just going to have to agree with you on this one, because it was a sound and solid performance. Um, Obviously, the most important moment of the match came very early on at about the two-minute mark when Kai Havertz set up Gabby Martinelli wide open on goal, and he simply refused to shoot. Um, I was on a work call at that time. It was Monday night football or Monday afternoon football for those of us who are not plastics and live in America. Um, So I I thought clearly I must have missed a defender or something. There had to be a reason that Martinelli could not shoot that ball. But no, it's just a a grand conspiracy to prevent Kai Havertz from reaching 0.53 goals plus assists per 90 this season. 
Um, but I digress, and I think we've gone on long enough on this Palace game, a, a sound win, and I think one that the team could be proud of. Uh, if we had done, and we're not doing Chubb of the Week Slander Center for this one, but I was going to highlight coming out of that game kind of the broad concept of controllers, controlling players, bringing on Jorginho, bringing on Alex Zinchenko, guys who aren't necessarily actually better on the ball than some of the players they're replacing in some cases. You know, I think Zinchenko came in for uh, Tomiyasu more or less, so maybe better on the ball there. But guys who are just confident enough to pass the ball around, even down to 10 men, uh, I, I think maybe confidence is a theme early on in this season. And uh, our, our two guys, one guy we love here, J5, one guy we slander here, Alex and Chanko, both showed that confidence and really controlled that game. So that's my one additional thought. Um, yeah, but we've got, and, and, we've got a lot of business I, to take care of here, Nomics. I understand, really but do. you can't just be you can't be just throwing a couple chubs of the week without without officially being a chub of the week. So I'm gonna unofficially put my chub of the week. And this is gonna shock a lot of people. Um, but you're gonna if you're on the rewatch, you'll see it. I mine is Tomiyasu, and 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 the reason why is because he started poorly in that game. He did, but he grew into it and he was looking like the Tomiyasu that we knew um last se- or two seasons ago, I guess now. It, the thing with Tomiyasu is that he's never he never recovered from his injury. Now he looks healthy. Let him get match fit, people. Come on, let him go. Um, and, and I think I think he's really going to give us a that uh, Salah man marking performance that we saw a few a, a, quite a lot while ago that we we raved about at the left back role. So I, I'm I'm happy to see Tomiyasu healthy. The red card was unlucky, but he was really grown into the game after getting a little bit cooked by IU in the in the beginning of the match. But he, he really settled in well, and I think um, it's just unfortunate that he got that red card because I thought he was having his best game in months. Yeah, I'd have to review the game, which I certainly will not do, to see how his defensive, uh, how he grew into the game defensively. Uh, but I did think kind of positionally he looked comfortable in ways that he has not looked positionally comfortable in about two years' time at this point. Now, for those of you new to the carpet chat, we don't typically skip a week. We don't typically have to recap a previous week's game in the opening segment of the show. But what we do in the opening segment of the show is we really try to avoid any personal banter or any non-football conversation because Namix and I do not like each other. So typically, we open the show with kind of news from around the Premier League, sometimes personal football news, a lot of things that we might be able to touch on here before we get into the main meat and potatoes of this one, Arsenal Fulham. Uh, Man City, the only team on nine points. Brighton, Robert Zerbi, a fraud beaten by Moyes Ball, who should be our manager, David Moyes. Uh, I thought he'd be an, an assistant at this point. Um, and right, did we lose the Declan Rice transfer with West Ham United taking those three points off of league leading Brighton? Uh, what else? He got he got Ainge continuing his reign of terror at Tottenham. Uh, you have Unai Emery's Aston Villa, a team that I briefly bandwagoned in our preseason predictions and ran from when I witnessed the horror of Unai Emery football in week one. Is there anything you'd like to flag from around the league, Nomics? Yeah, I do. I do want to start popping some balloons here. Um, Ainge Postacoglu, the best thing about him is his fucking name. He has a fun name to say. Postacoglu is a very fun name to say. Uh, they're not doing anything special. I, I'm, I know that Spurs fans and a bunch of pundits are ready to praise him after three matches, saying that the new the new uh, Wenger, uh, Arsenal Wenger, after you know not losing or being more team oriented, they're playing okay. They're playing okay. Like it's nothing special. I think I think it's 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 just a solid foundation. They're still getting lucky with Romero uh, throwing in tackles and never getting booked. I also want to burst the balloon of uh, Man United. I know they 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 have six points, 
but they are playing dreadful. And I know this is risky to say the week before we play them, uh, but they they are dreadful. They are just a dreadful team. They they got lucked out again, but from a red card and a soft penalty, in my opinion, because they're at Old Trafford, and that's that's two straight matches at Old Trafford where they're they're bailed out by crappy refereeing. Um, but yeah, uh, I think City dominated Sheffield, but Sheffield kind of gave the formula to those lower league teams. Like, listen, if you can ride it out, you can maybe nick a point. And they, of course, got a stupid soft penalty that you you wouldn't see get called anywhere else again. Um, where else? Uh, Newcastle, Liverpool, absolutely hilarious um, result over there. Newcastle uh, were up a man for pretty much the whole match. And who else but Darwin Nunez coming in That's, the yeah. 80th minute? That's what I was going to jump on here. Ponytail Darwin Nunez scoring two. Me and FFG have been Darwin Nunez truthers. We do believe he's a good player. Uh, We think he's even better because he has a ponytail now. So we know he's actually good. Uh, Those are two class finishes. Absolutely. uh, Like proper Barclays finishes right there. And and, and that's who you get with Darwin, right? He's a a freak athlete who can finish games. Him and Enoomi, whatever, the the, the striker for Forrest, they're just two Premier League classic Barkley strikers and I fucking love it and that's what we that's what us at the top four and money gang um gang we love to see and we want that at Arsenal so maybe by the window close we'll get our own uh Tom Ford money gang uh we'll we'll see but yeah it, it was a fun weekend another fun weekend of Barclays but also another terrible week, weekend of refereeing I, I think it was just another almost every match had some terrible call uh, but that's just boring conversation now. So I think we might as well just move on to the the, the the most disappointing result of the weekend. That's ours. Yeah, well, we don't address the referees on this show. We are waiting for our PGMOL sponsorship checks to clear. Um, which anyone out there, if you run a sketchy betting website that may or may not be fraudulent, if you have a crypto scam, uh, Ponzi scheme, etc., please get in touch. We will happily promote your scam, scheme, or criminal activities for any form of promotional fee for the carpet chat. Um, I, I will just flag one thing for personal football news, which is that is why I predicted Liverpool to finish third, not because they're good, not because their defense isn't completely washed, not because they have a midfield, but because Darwin Nunez can win games on his own and they will score 80 goals, even if they ship 75 goals. And that's why I've got Liverpool in third. On to the, uh, the show, the, the thing you came here for, the real meat and potatoes of it. I already used that analogy. We'll double dip. It's fine. Arsenal 2, Fulham 2. I was going to say Arsenal 1, Fulham 2, because that's what it feels like. It's a draw that feels like a loss against Fulham at home. We know, thanks to our stats partners at Canon Stats and Scott J. Willis, that uh, was a great XG performance, you know, better XG performance than last year's win against Fulham. Uh, the data, the data likes the game. Uh, the data apparently likes one point instead of three, though. That's uh, that's news to me. Yeah, uh, the most important thing this weekend is that we were champions of the XG this weekend. No other team had more XG than we did this weekend. Uh, even City with their 75 shots and 30 shots on net, they didn't have as much XG as we did. Uh, so, you know, at the end of the day, we might have got three points, but we are champions of the XG, and on the XG table, we are moving up. So I think uh, like that, how that's in, a positive. Uh, in fantasy football leagues, you'll have like uh, $10 a week for the top scorer, you know, the person who puts up the most points. I think the Premier League should give a weekly bonus point uh, for the team that puts up the most XG. That's my pitch. Uh, we'll, we'll add that in with Todd Bowley's All-Star game, which, you know, I will advocate. We'll get there when the Premier League's on break. I will advocate for a skills contest, but that's neither here nor there. Let's begin with our typical format here, Nomics. 
Again, Arsenal 2, Fulham 2 at the Emirates. Felt like a loss. Stats say it should have been a win. What is your clickbait headline? Mine is in uh, big, bold, all caps, breaking news and breakthrough in sickle cell anemia care, question mark. Uh, this has to do with uh, a, a, a little a little guy named Fabio Vieira. We all know he suffers probably probably not from sickle cell anemia, and I think we might have found a breakthrough in curing it, um, curing his anemia, and that is playing in the rain at home in his natural position. Uh, he was absolutely fantastic coming off the bench. I think it was kind of like this is the Fabio we've been waiting for. Uh, I've been. I was alerted earlier today that he has the same amount of um, assists as Odegaard does since he's joined the team, which is an absolutely crazy stat. If you ask me, I would never guess that. Uh, so questions need to be asked about Odegaard. But this is a Vieira. This is a Vieira uh, 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 headline. He was so good. He was very good. He. Um, it, it's kind of funny, right? Because the way Havertz has been playing is kind of the way that we viewed Vieira last season where it's like he's not getting into the game, he's, he's kind of hiding a little bit here and there. Um, it, it, whether that's true or not for Havertz, that's a different conversation. Uh, and then he comes on and he looks like 10 times a player that Havertz looks like. He's everywhere, he's sliding, he's dr- getting penalties. And, and, and it's, it's great to see. Um, and the, the thing is, he has to sustain it. That's the biggest thing. He's sustained it. And if he sustains it off the bench, he's going to knock at the starting position at the left eight or even maybe... Odegaard goes left 10 and and Vieira goes right eight or whatever, however they want to do it, depending on the lineup we put out there. But yeah, so it looks like we may have a breakthrough in sickle cell amenia, amenia care. So uh, this is this is great news for Arsenal and maybe great news for the rest of the world. Who knows? It's a N before M, there, anemia. It's okay. Sorry, yes, I, 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 do, I am a doctor, but not a medical doctor. So Absolutely. I apologize for uh, my mispronunciation. We are trying to get Dr. Raj on this podcast. We cannot quite afford his $10,000 appearance fee. If you would like to crowdfund that appearance, please contact me. Uh, I agree in large strokes with the Fabio highlight. Uh, Not sure about the spot he's coming for. I mean, to dethrone King Kai Havertz would be quite a feat, especially when you have Martin Odegaard out there without a non-penalty goal or assist through three games. A little bit shocking. We'll see. We'll see. Uh, My player of the year last year, a reminder, Martin Odegaard. Uh, but Fabio was electric. He was everything he was supposed to be. Uh, I'm not coming up with this originally. I heard this on one of the other podcasts. You know, We aim to be the third best Arsenal podcast, so it was on one of the two that we accept we are not as good as. Uh, that It seemed like maybe because Fabio drew that penalty so early on in his appearance, uh, he was really able to channel a lot of additional confidence. You know, he really started demanding the ball after that. He started making his passes. He started making plays and it led to an assist and almost led to a, a world-class bicycle kick finish that sure would have been uh, a little much for match week three against Fulham at home, but would have basically been the Reese Nelson moment of its day if he had actually scored that goal and had it not been ruled offside once he scored it. Uh, an electric Fabio game. And yeah, the, the Fabio we were all hoping for, we were all expecting a guy who maybe isn't all the way there yet on buildup, on ball progression, on some of that uh, Bernardo Silva-type stuff, who certainly isn't the most physical player in the world, who isn't going to win as many duels as someone you might like in that left-eight slot, but who, when he gets around the box, is just able to produce moments of brilliance with a pretty high frequency. And uh, that's sure what it looked like in this one. I agree. Fabio, certainly a chub of the week candidate. And if you're looking to spin positive, I think that's got to be a good option for a clickbait headline. 
Yeah, uh, I think Fabio's the type of player that you give him the ball more, he does more, and he gets confidence. I think the worst games is when we can't find him, or when he can't find the ball, depending on how you want to look at it. Um, perhaps even starting him next to Martinelli gave him that confidence, because they kind of just have this type of Siamese cat type of thing, where they just know where each other are. They, 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 the, the ball played for the penalty, I believe, was Martinelli playing Vieira the ball. Uh, so it, it, you know, maybe you have to start him there, get a little bit of confidence and then push him out to the right like they did. And then he has those moments where he had a, he had a good ball into the box. He had a, he had that bicycle that was offside, but absolutely absurd, uh, ball striking there. And we know he's a good ball striker. Um, so, so it, it's just a great thing to see. Uh, maybe, uh, another, another young player on the bench with the injury record might, might be left out and that we can talk about that later on in the pod, but uh it, it's it was it was encouraging especially this early in the season especially in the elements that it was it was absolutely pissing out and you would think a guy soaking wet 110 pounds would struggle in that situation but it maybe him falling on the ground getting taken out kind of was like fuck it I'm gonna take over the game now and it, it, it was just great to see I love a confident player and I think when he's confident he is he is a he is a extremely talented player and he can really take over certain uh phases of the game yeah, I always said going into this year for Fabio that I didn't see any reason why he was going to come good, but that if he was going to come good, him being horrific in his first season was absolutely not disqualifying. You know, a little diminutive guy from a not top five league adjusting to the Premier League. It is not surprising it takes a year. I will be the first to admit if Fabio comes good, I did not have it. I did not see it, but I certainly wasn't disqualifying him from year one. Uh, my clickbait headline, I think, harkens back to an earlier day, a, a day pre-clickbait. I am thinking of the classic sports section newspaper headline. Oftentimes, especially in the States after like a big NFL Sunday, uh, big sections for big games will have in their headline slot an important quote from a, a star player, uh, from a coach a lot of the time. And I'd like to quote perhaps one of the biggest stars around from this arsenal Fulham game. Uh, Shoddy smoke, Colin. Bozo Gene and our players never been stronger, Lamal. I think that's the story in this one. I think there are reasons to be concerned about the attack. Uh, three non-penalty goals through three games, a little alarming. Although, hey, the fact that we can draw two penalties in three games now, thank you, Declan Rice. That's a great sign. But what I'm concerned about is what's going on with the Bozo Gene run rampant through all the players. In our season preview, I flagged uh, very boldly, very against the grain um, and acknowledging afterwards that I was doing a bit of trolling and that I was just trying to stir the pot. Big Gabby, Gabriel Magliage as a potential slander center candidate for the whole season because of his bozo gene. Now, it seems like perhaps Mikel Arteta listened to this comment. And again, he has bent Big Gabby. But instead of removing the Bozo gene, this has now removed the man who was containing the Bozo gene. I think he was holding it within himself so that the Bozo gene could not spread to other players. And now, man, what are we seeing? We're seeing Ben White and Thomas Party not understand how to switch around with each other. We're seeing Bukayo Saka play through balls to the opposition and build up. And we're seeing Aaron Ramsdale uh, maybe not failing to save any easy ones, but certainly not doing himself or the team any favors on some of these tricky situations created by our own errors. Uh, so I think the attacking system is probably worth discussing. There might be problems. You can certainly do some nitpicking there on the goal scoring side of things. But I think defensively we look insanely stout, insanely robust. 
just the bozo gene. It is running wild throughout the arsenal. Yeah, I, I, as we all know, I do not share the view that Gabriel has a bozo gene. Um, he's been, like I said, he's probably our best defender, just all out and out defender. He doesn't, in my opinion, he does have he doesn't have any bozo gene. If he does, it's it's the least of the four center, the four defenders we have. Uh, I, I know FFG loves to repeat that, hoping that people will, I will I will concede and it will be true on this podcast. But that is not a canon of this podcast. We do not be, I do not believe that Gabriel has the bozo gene. One guy who I do know for a fact has a bozo gene is Zinchenko, and Zinchenko came on yet again in a fell asleep with the ball on his feet, heavy touch, which we all know how technically gifted he is. So when he does that touch like that, it's a lack of concentration. Concentration. He wasn't being pressured or anything. He is the reason why so many of our matches were controlled and we think we're going to see it out and then we just don't. A lot of it, if you look back, is it's all Zinchenko. And it, it's, it's, I, I know I've been beating this drum for a while and, I've, and I was this summer saying that Timber was going to give him a run for his money. He's gonna, he might take his position. And that's because Timber doesn't have that bozo gene. Yes, Zinchenko is probably the most technically gifted player on our team. I'm not conceding that. I'm not conceding, I'm not, I'm not, uh, I'm not stating that uh, he he shouldn't be starting, right? I, I think between him, Tomiyasu, and Kivior, if it was between them three, Zenchenko should be starting. Uh, but what I'm saying is he is a liability. There is a defensively and sometimes mentally having mental lapses. He is, there's a reason why City got rid of him. And I think they knew he had that bozo gene in him. Um, and if we're going to speak about the King bozo gene that, that we, we kind of evade or some, we evade a blame, it's Arteta. It has it has to be Arteta, right? Because the Gabriel thing is honestly shocking to me. What's going on there? Um, you know, people are saying that some some podcasters are saying, "Oh, it makes sense that Gabriel is being benched tactically because Kivior is going to play more left back uh, and left center back, left back, right?" Gabriel was doing that all with holding last season when Saliba was hurt. He was covering three positions. He can cover left back and left um, and left center back. It, it, it's clearly something's going on behind the scenes. It's not tactical in my opinion. He didn't come on yesterday when we, we pr- probably could have brought him on just to assure the d- defense a little bit with a ma- up man. Um, and, and the first bozo moment, which was Saka passing the ball, that ball's going straight to the right center back of Saliba if Saliba and Gabriel are starting. And it's not even a, it wasn't a, even a bad pass. It was well-weighted. It was exactly where Saliba was all of last season. It's it's the way we built up last season was going back to him, even moving it around or going back to the middle. But Arteta just had to big brain it. And he had to, he had to just try to do something different. And in my opinion, it was to, it was to send a message to Gabriel, whether it, whether his head's turned a little bit to Saudi Arabia, maybe that's why. And he, he wants someone that's fully committed or he just he he's big braining it too much and thinks that for some reason Kivior can do a better job. I'm sorry, there's nothing Kivior can do better than Gabriel right now. Right now in this specific moment of his career, there's nothing Gabriel. I mean, Kivior can do better than Gabriel. Might be able so, to torque better. Um, and he maybe maybe their fiancés or wives can get still, a contact. There is still that completely unsourced, unverified rumor that Kivior broke the Arsenal sprint speed record that uh, some of us choose to believe. With Congrats. no proof. Yeah, uh, I believe Hector Bellerin also did, even after his torn hamstring or whatever it was. So, it, you know, I, I'm not putting much weight into that. Uh, but yeah, I think we do have a bozo gene. I do I do concede that. I don't think it's Gabriel, but I do think it's Arteta. And I do think it's Zinchenko. And I think there's a reason why we're not so eager to start Zinchenko. 
at left back. But there's also a, 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 a shady reason why we're not starting Gabriel, and I think that comes from Arteta. Yeah, I, I think there's a good window to talk about the lineup a little bit, which is not something we're used to doing on this podcast. You know, this being a podcast created in the 22-23 season where no lineup discussion ever happened, um, except for exclusively Eddie versus Trissard. It is different. Uh, I heavily backed Arteta's lineup against Nottingham Forest. Um, I thought it was a very worthy change, a very worthy experiment. And I completely understood why Timber was better suited for that left back role than Gabrielle. And I think we saw in preseason that just shifting Saliba over to the right and having Gabrielle in the middle does not work as effectively as leaving Saliba in that kind of left center back role. I think we saw potential issues with that. Uh, even in preseason, if not conceptually. You want you want Saliba in the middle. Um, I think match week two, little less convinced. No, no timber makes it a lot less tempting. But I can also see how it's an excellent Tomiyasu position. And Tomiyasu, a guy who needs match fitness, match fitness, excuse me, who needs confidence and is also maybe even just more comfortable in that role than Gabrielle is. It is a different role than Gabrielle played. Match week three. Now we're talking Jakob Kivior in that position. Arteta has lost me a little bit on that one. Uh, I think in the long run, uh, my optimistic take coming from this one. Well, first of all, let me start with my actual belief take. I I think there is something behind the scenes with Gabriel. I think his head has likely been turned by Saudi Arabia, uh, as has mine. Please, Saudi Arabia, pay my podcast for lease clause and allow me to host the Saudi Vision 2030 pod. Um... I think it's likely that Gabriel has had his head turned. But if I was to go full-on optimist, full-on belief, everything's good, what's going on here? I would estimate that this left-back-ish role, this kind of Nathan Ake role, which isn't really what it is, but it's, you know, left-sided Ben White, Nathan Ake, whatever you want to call it, is different enough from what Gabriel's used to that Gabriel's still learning the role and just isn't as positionally comfortable with it as guys who played left back before, which Kivior was getting ready to play left back in preseason. Uh, Tomiyasu, obviously fairly natural at this role. Timber can apparently play anywhere. Do I believe that? No. But again, if you had to make me come up with a glass 90% full take removed from the idea that Gabriel got his head turned, I think that's the only thing that makes any sense because Mikel Artetic truly cannot believe that Jakob Kivior uh, is better at this job than Gabriel would be, unless he thinks Gabriel really isn't ready to play this particular position. Yeah, uh, I, I, I just think if it was tactical, which I let's just let's just imagine it's tactical and it's nothing Saudi rumors. I just think we would have saw it in preseason. I just think we would have saw it in pre at least once. The fact that we went, I know the United game we played poorly, but Gabriel at left se- left center back and uh, Saliba at right center back was not the reason why we played poorly. The reason we played poorly is because Tomiyasu was playing inverted left back for the first time and was kind of struggling. He was kind of did and, and Rice they didn't really know their spaces. Uh, they were playing over the top to the left side. It wasn't because of Gabriel. Go to Barcelona game. I thought Gabriel was one of our best defenders. Him and Saliba were very very good that whole match. Uh, ben White got a little bit cooked, but he got better as the match went on. Uh, I believe it was Timber that started at the inverted left back. He played very well. Then we go to the Carab- the, the the Community Shield, which is the most important trophy of the year. Uh, again, there was no indication that there was any tactical uh, uh, tinkering. Uh, we started with Ben White right back, right? I believe if I'm not mistaken. Ben White, Saliba, Gabriel, 
and then uh, and then Timber at left back, if I'm not mistaken. And he was in, Timber was inverting. Uh, and, and there was times where it's where where uh, when Ben White would go up, Party was dropping into the right back position, so it kind of gave us a little bit of hint what might be going on. And I was like, okay, well. It, it, like this is going to be our, our d- defense moving forward. It makes sense. I'm, I'm everyone's comfortable with this. And then the forest game, uh, we did have, it made a little more sense. It made a little bit more sense, right? If you want to experiment with, uh, I believe it was uh party right back. And then it was right back quotation air quotes, uh, Ben white, Saliba timber. You had two players there that are, that are technically want to invert. But it makes it makes sense, I guess. You can be very unpredictable in the buildup. It makes sense to me. And like you said, the next two matches didn't really doesn't make sense, especially because Gabriel played so well in the Community Shield. He played so well. He was rock solid. Him and Saliba didn't. Holland was a ghost. So I I just don't see it being tactical. I try to see it. I I know some people are saying the only way we can, the reason why we're doing this is because it's the only way we can fit party. Rice and Havertz in there. I don't think that's the reason why. I really don't because you can still play Gabriel, especially with the timber injury, and then have those three in there. I, I honestly think it, it like I, I it's it's a, it's a Saudi thing. Whether that comes to fruition or not, I don't know. I think I think he's just making a, a making a um, uh, making a statement by not playing him. I think the key viewer, you're right. The key viewer starting was I think the biggest statement. It was like the Okay, this is not tactical. This is I'm sorry, the fourth choice left center back starting when your first choice left center back is available and fit and everything. Yeah, it, it's 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 not tactical. So we'll see. I think some people are gonna wanna are, are gonna wanna see the United game, uh, see if he starts, and that'll be the indicator whether it's it's something more. Uh, we'll see. I, I I just think that this isn't the time to be playing games. Um, I think you just tell Gabrielle, hey, listen, I know your head was turned you're with all that money, but you know the you know the mission here. And he hasn't shown any Gabrielle hasn't shown any indication that he wants to leave publicly. You know, like he's not making he's not his new agents aren't aren't putting stuff on Instagram asking for like asking to leave and he's happy. No, he's been hundred percent committed. He's posting Arsenal content. It's just, it's just confusing, and I, I just think it's another it's another stupid decision by Arteta when it comes to player management. Where I thought we were kind of over this, uh, so hopefully we, he gets over it as soon as possible, especially this weekend coming up with United. Yeah. And, you know, for the narrative merchants out there, um, this actually isn't the narrative merchants. This is the, this is the tacticos, I suppose, explaining that that left center back role behind an inverting left back is radically different than the left center back slash left back role when we're inverting from the right. Yeah, it is, but Gabrielle's still much better than Jakob Kivior. Again, I will maybe give you a Tomiyasu start on that. I will maybe acknowledge that for Gatch Week 2 with Tomiyasu available. But when it's Jakob Kivior, it does not matter. Gabrielle's still well and truly clear. Uh, And I think it's time for us to be well and truly clear of these clickbait headlines. Let's move on. Uh, Negative game, and we're negative people. So, Namix, let's give the fans what they want. Let's kick things off with our slander centers. You know, I, I, I slandered Mikel already, I think. Um, I slandered Zinchenko already, um, which is my favorite thing to do. I, I do want to slander. This is a low-hanging fruit. I'm sorry, people. But I, we've been very, we've been very, um, we praise him a lot in the last few weeks. And that's Kai Havertz. Um, I'm not going to say it was a doomsday performance where he was just absolutely unplayable and in the bad way. And he just, he's just a, a cancer this team. I'm not going to go that far. I'm saying he was, he was just, his touch was off. His touch was off all game. 
he he seemed on his heels a little bit more more than I I'd like. Um, but I think it comes more with understanding your teammates um, more, and that will come. Uh, he, he's he's used to having Chelsea players who don't fucking pass the ball into the into the channels into the the half spaces. Um, he doesn't trust himself to turn now because he's been he had shitty teammates at Chelsea who don't tell him when he can turn and when he's not. So I, I just think it was a poor performance. I. I I said, I want to say the Palace game, not even Palace, sorry. I said the Forest game, we have a Palace pod, that this would be the worst Kai performance. He was even, he was fine, he was good. This was probably the worst we can expect from Kai. And not because, like I said, he was dreadful. He was just, he was just sloppy like everybody else. Um, I could pick any of the midfielders other than Declan Rice and it'd be my slander center, but I'm, I'm going to pick Kai to get it out of the way um, and, and have that talk. He just needs to be more confident, I think. I think it's confidence for him. Um, he, he came from a talk situation, and I'm, I'm worried that some fans are going to make it toxic for him here too. And, and I just think, like all the players in this um, that we sign, this podcast has been very clear, especially I have, I give them a year. I give them a year to adapt, to build into the system, to see how they do, and then next year I need to see stuff like that. And we're seeing that with with uh, – Vieira right now it looks like and I think we'll see with Havertz but I think Havertz will be quicker I think Jesus comes in Zinchenko comes in I think Havertz's role and his performance are gonna are gonna uh exponentially improve uh so I guess it's kind of turning from a chub a chub of the a week I mean slander center to a chub of the week but I I think I, I just think Kai had a poor game and it, it's without beating a dead horse it, it's just important to mention yeah, uh, you know as the leader of the Havertz hive a tall foreign money gang subdivision uh, I certainly would agree with the idea that Kai Havertz had a poor game. I would push back at the idea that Kai Havertz had the worst game of anyone in the starting 11, or that he was even reasonably close to the worst game in this starting 11. I, I'm not gonna, I don't want to transition into my slander center just yet, um, but there were big problems all across that front five. Um, exasperated, right? Demonstrate even more upon a second viewing. Trissard's the one guy who you watch it again, and actually, no, he was not absentee. He was making a lot of decoy runs. He didn't touch the ball enough, but when he did, he was incisive with it. Uh, everyone minus Trissard, who you thought, man, did those guys suck on your first watch? Let me tell you, they suck on your second watch again. You, you look again, Odegaard's not unlocking defenses. The wingers are struggling. They're overburdened. And something is just missing from this. Um, I'm I'm wondering if it's the changes at the back. You know, I, as someone who is impressed by what we're doing defensively and has been in favor of Arteta tinkering with the system, it is tough to look at Kivir joining in on that left pod. Uh, and you know, we hate saying left pod, right pod on here, but we're gonna have to. Uh, it's tough to look at Kivir joining in on the left and Saka not having White overlapping on the right and not think that's the issue, because if that's not the issue, then it just turns out all of our young superstars aren't that good. Um, and I think we all refuse to accept that. So I'll accept some guy Havertz slander. Uh, I agree this is certainly his worst game in the shirt. Um, I think it's maybe alarming that he's had weaker games in the regular season than he did in preseason. But I also think there are a lot of realities where he comes into this game on a goal and an assist. Uh, he, he played fairly well those first two games. And if we had more than three open play goals as a team, Kai Havertz is probably involved in some of that end product. 
So I'm concerned. I'm not yet alarmed. And I'll accept that it was a negative Kai Havertz game, but I will push back on the idea that he's he's worthy of singling out. Yeah, no, I, I don't think he's he's the worst outplayed. I think that, you know, honestly, between him, Odegaard, and Saka, you can pick which one uh, because they're all pretty bad. I think Party was pretty bad too. But yeah, I, I, I think you're right. I think he, I just need to mention it because... I know uh, followers of the pod, which we have a uh, uh, dozens of you guys. Uh, that I, I, if we didn't mention Havertz, we'd be we, we'd be seen as a little bit of a of a of a flaky pod. And I, and I wanted to mention that yes, Havertz is Havertz didn't have his best game. We recognize that, but I also think that left side is a mess right now, um, more because of the of the revolving door of left backs that are coming in and out, and I guess strikers too. Uh, that are coming in and out that kind of doesn't stabilize someone who's brand new to the squad. But I think we're going to see a, a much improvement once we have a solidified left back, whoever that fucking is. And then Jesus is back at, at, at center forward yeah, or and Kedia playing more. Who knows? Speaking of staring into the belly of the beast here, you know, standing up for truth, even when it's unpopular on this pod, my slander center is the star boys, plural, both superstar wingers. I see Namix is reeling at the idea that Gabby Martinelli could have done wrong. Martinelli has been more dog than man since he had that beautiful assist match week one. And let me tell you, I'm concerned about both these kids. Uh, We know that we put a lot of pressure on these wingers because teams give us width and we pass the ball to Saka mostly, but also Martinelli and just leave them at well-angled one-on-ones with their defenders and progress the ball that way a lot. And now, obviously, I don't actually think that Bukayo Saka and Gabby Martinelli are bad players. They are star boys. They are superstars and soon to be uh, superstars on the global stage. But I worry about these kids getting jaded. I worry about the minutes they've played. And I worry that both already look a little worse for wear at the start of this season. They do not look refreshed from a summer break that doesn't really exist. Obviously, Saka had more of the errors in this game, uh, certainly the giveaway for the first goal, and seemed a little asleep at the wheel in the uh, corner routine for the second goal. But I think Martinelli's having a tough time adjusting to, again, a very dysfunctional left side of the pitch. Saka obviously missing his overlapping runs from Ben White, neither being helped from some challenges in midfield, be they from Kai Havertz or from a Martin Odegaard who cannot seem to find a defense-unlocking pass recently. But... If we're slandering, I'm going to have to slander the wingers and uh, just not seeing it from these guys in this one. No Eddie blame to be found. Uh, usual example, something wrong with the other attackers. Blame Eddie and Kedia. There was no Eddie to blame in this one. So I got to slander Bukayo Saka and Gabby Martinelli. Uh, I will agree with Saka was really bad this game. I think he he looked heavy leg. He looked heavy legged, which is very worrisome this part of the season. And I think is it, it shows because we've been subbing him out more, earlier. I don't think we subbed him out early this game, or did we? Or did we? I think when we were up two one, we subbed him out. Uh, but the no, we didn't. Uh, but Martinelli, I thought. I think that you're you're a little. I don't know if you watched it again. I I think you're a little misplaced in the slander there. I I think. The nature of him being quote unquote Doganelli is kind of just the nature of the spaces being completely wrong on the left side, where he's kind of left with one option, and that's taking on the defender down the byline. And he had the assist; he had the penalty assist, if you want to give it the penalty assist. Um, he, the, he, the hockey I think penalty he, assist, right? Yeah, I, I think he's the most progressive play uh, attacker we have right now, where he is always trying to go to goal, whether that's that's 
whether that's something you like to see or don't like to see, it's gonna knock, it's not gonna come off very well. It's gonna it's similar to Alexis Sanchez where he just wants to go to goal. Um, I, I think he's been I think he's been actually pretty good to start the season. The goals aren't coming off. His shots are a little bit away, away but um, I, I think once he starts scoring, he's going to score a lot. Uh, it, it, it's just like he needs to get that left side clicking, mostly because he Havertz's spaces are kind of off, um, and then whoever the left back is, their spaces are a little bit off. That's going to come. But I think given his circumstances, he's doing well. But I think Bukayo Saka is someone we should talk about. He, he did have that error in the beginning of the game that led to the goal. Uh, but I think... If, uh, that's not why I think that that's not why me and you are giving him a, a slander here. His touch was off. Yeah. He he struggles in one v one when the right back isn't overlapping, and that's that's an issue. That's an issue. If you want your star winger to be able to take players on, even if he doesn't have help, that's what separates Mo Salah from the the rest of them, right? Because he could, he doesn't need someone next to him to take him on and be unpredictable. I think Saka has become a little bit too unpredictable. But then again, he sent that ball across the goal. If Havertz is just taps that in, we're having a different conversation. Uh, but I, I just think he was off. He's not a bad player. He's not. He's, he's he isn't a oh my god, sky's falling game. It, he, we expect so much from him. So a six out of ten performance from him, or even a five out of ten in this game, seems like the sky is falling. But in reality, it's just it was just a poor game all around. And I, and I think it kind of starts with Odegaard. I think I think what we're kind of saying here is that Odegaard's really the slander uh, slander center because. He is a connector, and he wasn't connecting at all. His touch was heavy, which you can't have your attacking midfielder have a heavy touch. You just absolutely can't. Uh, and he he just he kind of ghosted a little bit. He tried to do stuff, but it just wasn't coming off. So uh, I think Saka and Odegaard go hand in hand when you give him a slander center. Yeah, I really do appreciate Nomics you just taking the time to slander the entire rest of the team in the interest of deferring slander from Gabby Martinelli. Um, you know, he might have more mitigating circumstances than Bukayo Saka, but he's also asked to do less in build-up than Bukayo Saka. I did also see, and I can't find it, so I can't credit it, a phenomenal image of um, Gabby Martinelli's signature run, and it was like a technical, and one of those like mock-ups of you know, a, a footy pitch and plays being made on it. And of course, it's Martinelli running towards the, running towards the touchline, stagger, uh, staggering around a few times and then going out of bounds. But uh that's that's a different issue. Um, this is a audio format, but I was hoping I could find the image to maybe share it with our, our beloved fans, but it's nowhere to be found. Um, we'll move on before Nomics quits the pot over Martinelli slander, though, and we'll get you know a point was picked up in this one. Um, the extra XG point, when and if that's brought into the Premier League, we'll be receiving that one as well for having the most XG of the week. Nomics, there are some eye points in this one. I know you highlighted Fabio Vieira already in your clickbait headline, but who is your chub of the week? I actually highlighted Gabriel and Fabio. Uh, mine is Eddie and Kedia. I think we have been, we mostly me, have been extremely slanderous of Eddie and Kedia over the past year or so. Uh, even before we had the pod, I would just yell into my computer that I that Eddie and Kedia is a is is a bozo and he has zero dog and. I'd say some crazy things. He was absolutely fantastic in this game. And the most impressive thing, which we have been beating this drum for a while, he has been so bad off the bench. And he came off the bench and he looked like he was starting. He started the game. He looked fresh. He looked red, hungry. And that's what we want from him. And when you're a number two striker, assuming when Jesus comes back, he'll be the number two striker. You need to take your moments. You have to take them when they come. You're not going to get many, especially when your striker is someone as important as Jesus. 
You need to take your moment. You have to come on the field ready. You can't be. You don't have ten minutes to warm up into the game. You don't. You can't. You you can't afford this, especially when your team is down or or they're or they're 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 drawing one one or nil nil whatever it is. And he did everything right. He was making runs. He was he was pressing. He was uh, he was just active, and that's what we need from him. We just need to be active when he comes off the bench. You can't be. You can't be sulking that you didn't start and, you know, oh, I need a few minutes to kind of get the flow. No, you're on the bench. You're warming up. You have to you have to analyze the game from the bench and know what your job needs to be. And you have to do it the minute you step on the pitch. And that's the mo- that's that's the, been my biggest critique of Enkedia. Not that he, he's not as good when, he, when he's not good when he starts. We know once he starts a few games, he starts to score goals, and it's, it's good to see. It's off the bench, and it was just great to see him have one of those moments. Um, I know I, I praised Fabio before with a similar type of praise it, and it's, it's equally as great to see Enkedia come off the bench and kind of silence me, AKA the haters, uh, about, uh, about him not being able to do this off the bench. So my chub of the week is Eddie Enkedia. And obviously you took my chub of the week from me, Eddie, the clear chub of the week from this one. I think even accounting for the spectacular Vieira performance, I think Eddie did not just everything you could hope for from a striker off the bench, but just everything you could hope for from a striker outright. Um, Eddie is not a false nine. He never will be a false nine. He should not be asked to drop as deep as Gabby Jesus does or as Andrew Trissard does. What he is is a run-behind striker. Allah, and these are the comparisons that people are going to roll their eyes to, but these are the players who play in this style, an Erling Holland or a Darwin Nunes. Obviously, he is a different player than both of them. He is not huge. He does not have a ponytail, hideous in Holland's case, or majestic in Nunez's case. But he is a striker who makes runs, who gets behind the defense, and who wreaks havoc in that way. He is not a fox in the box, though. He is not just a poacher. He can still combine. He can make passes. He can overlap with his teammates, and he can change places with them. And we saw that time and time and time again. Even without the goal, I thought this was a spectacular Eddie game. He showed this alternative way to play as a striker in this system, which is, you know, as an actual striker instead of a false nine. And I don't think that's something we've exactly seen before. Even during Eddie's great run last season, when he had that brief spectacular run when he first came into the team, he was banging goals back then, but I don't think he fit into the system. He certainly didn't elevate the players around him in the same way that he did in this game. Uh, so I, in my eyes, that might be the best Eddie and Kedia performance of all time, uh, even though it was only a second half appearance. And even frankly, if you had removed the goal from it, I think he showed, I'm not going to say he showed why we should take Darwin Nunez off the wish list, but he showed why we shouldn't be too upset that that move's never happening. Yeah. I mean, um, there's, there's matches where Eddie comes in, he looks like a short five eleven. He looks like a like a week 5'11", his jersey looks a little bit too big. Uh, he just looks like he can't really get up with the big boys. Uh, there's sometimes some moments in the Palace game where I kind of felt that toward the end when he was getting tired. Uh, but then there's a match like today that he looks like a tall 5'11". He looks like a 6'2", 5'11". He looks jacked. He looks ripped. He's he's putting in uh, tackles. He's making those runs. He's looking fresh. And, and and that's what we need to see more of. And I think it's I, we've we said this before in the pod. It's 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 all a confidence thing with him. It's 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 a mentality thing. But it's not a talent level thing. He can finish the ball decently well. Uh, he makes good runs. Um, I, I just think sometimes he tries to be someone that he's not. 
Uh, he's trying to do that Jesus role, that Trossard role. You're not that. You're not that guy. You should, not in a bad way, right? You're not. You, we need a different profile. It's a reason why we were kind of screaming for maybe give Balogun a chance this season, right? Because he's a different profile, and he and he's unapologetically a different profile. And I think we need Eddie to accept that he is unapologetically a different profile and play play the type of football that got you into this team and got you that new contract and got you as a you under twenty one England all time leading scorer. Uh, because it matters. You need to have your own identity. You can't be playing like someone else. I know you compare him to to uh, to Highland in a way, but I think you could compare him a little bit to like a Callum Wilson in a way, where you're just working hard and you're getting those goals. You're being the right areas, and that's that's a that's a good player to have off the bench oh, yeah. and start some games. So also I, same I, I mean, archetype. Not, this, this is a big archetype. Same archetype. Yeah, similar, but I think Highland's more of a freak than he than Callum Wilson. I, I think Callum Wilson's more attainable than that. But yeah, I, I think if Eddie can continue to do this, he's going to start more often. He's going to score more goals more often, and he's gonna he's gonna give Arteta a headache in some in some matchup. Saying, "Do we need a Jesus for this match, or can we go with an Eddie? Give Jesus the rest, and him and have just as well of production in the final third. Especially, I, I think this is a key note." Especially when teams are playing low blocks, where those little runs to the box are going to be so useful. Uh, sometimes a Jesus isn't going to be the best fit in those situations. He's going to try to link up with the wingers to score. Maybe you put an Enkedi in there. Maybe there'll be some match where we're going to play Eddie and we're going to play Jesus, and we're going to play a four in the front, and we're going to just attack from all angles. You never know what, what the uh, what the possibilities can be. It just all starts with Eddie. Eddie is the guy who controls his own destiny. Arteta's going to give him the chance, and Eddie has to has to has to prove himself like he has the first three games of the season. And who knows? Maybe we'll even rest Bukayo Saka and play Jesus in the right wing with Eddie out there. Uh, for any Fabio heads tuning into the Chub of the Week section, waiting for your Fabio Vieira praise, uh, it happened in clickbait headlines. Dominic already took care of it. It was a clickbait headline for the match. So I'm going to flag the one remaining of our three good players from this match. Uh, that's not, I should flag Ben White as well for both being reasonably good and for being really missed on that right overlapping side. But instead, for my chub of the week, I've got to go with the Yaya Torre slash Casemiro hybrid himself, the future captain of England and Ireland. You know, maybe he'll unify the, the countries. I'm not sure. I, I think that probably would be unpopular in a lot of circles, but... Declan Rice. Or he'll, or he'll invade. Or, or he'll invade, invade right. Exactly. Invade. It might not need to be popular because Declan Rice is playing with lethal force. Uh, as military forces do, we do not want to get too into this. Um, we are Americans, and frankly, we, we don't care about what happens elsewhere on the planet. I think that's part of our philosophy. Uh, Declan Rice was electric in this game. He dominated the midfield. He made his passes. He, he showed character, personality, as some would call, on the ball. He did not pass backwards, except when appropriate. He filled in defensively in a defensive system that nobody understands, including the players in it. Declan Rice understands this defensive system. My one complaint about Declan Rice in this game is that I think Arteta doesn't trust him enough yet. I, I think Arteta still wants Thomas Party in there to babysit Declan Rice, and I think he's shown he does not need that. You rewatch the game and you look at you look at a heat map. I know we hate heat maps even more than we hate XG, but it is a tool. Uh, Declan Rice is not showing some left sided bias. You know he might be more comfortable linking up on the left. If you want to give him more freedom to move forward, sure, maybe he'd prefer to do that on the left. But when it comes to dominating the midfield. 
Declan Rice can do it to his left. He can do it to his right. He can go forward. He can go backwards. He is all over the pitch, all action. He is the ideal number six for this team and God, probably for any team. Uh, you know, maybe there are teams out there that would rather have Rodri, but uh, Declan Rice has to be a trouble of the week and he has been worth every penny of that not even British transfer record transfer fee we paid for him. Declan Rice is playing within himself a little bit, and he's still so good. And I, I think peop, there's a lot of questions in the pot in other podcasts saying, or and even in, the, in on social media, like what what who sits out when uh, when everyone's healthy, right? And for me, it's it's Party. It's easily Thomas Party, the one that sits out. If you put Ben White at right back with uh, Saliba and uh, Gabrielle, and you put Zinchenko at left back, and you invert from the left side, for lack of a better term force rice to play more to the right and he's gonna be so fucking good and i the only issue i have with rice is that in a single pivot which that's what we're playing a single pivot he needs to penetrate the box a little bit more the the uh defensive box a little bit more now come with confidence i think that will be unlocked once zinchenko plays aside him at, a, at the left eight or the inverted left back role uh it, it, that's the only critique i have for him but he is slowly but surely being more progressive as each game goes on. He's demanding the ball. He's understanding the spaces more. And this is all because he's such an intelligent player. And he he, wor- he works at his craft. You can see it. Between the Forest game, or let's go back even further, between the City Community Shield match and now, perhaps the results weren't as great for us as a, as a whole. But his performances are getting better and better each time. He's getting more confidence, and the players are trusting him more. They're knowing where he is. They want him to get the ball, and it's making Party redundant, in my opinion. I think forcing Party to play right back just for the sake of getting him on the pitch and making him invert, I think, is hurting the team more than anything else right now. I mean, other than the left back, left center back situation, uh, I think it's hurting the team because you're you're not letting Rice be unlocked, right? And you're and you're affecting. Uh, this the Saka Ben White link up, and I, I just think it, it's a waste right now. And I maybe maybe Sunday is not the time to revert back to that. Maybe you revert back to the Community Shield lineup, and you go with that. Uh, other than Timber playing, not playing, uh, I think you maybe revert back to that because that's a more solidified midfield. But when you're when you the next week comes, I think you just give Rice the keys to the midfield, and you say this is yours only. We're not going to handhold you anymore. And Ben White, you're going to be linking up with him and Declan and uh, Saka more because we need that. Um, as as Pep Guardiola once said, uh, you know it's it, it's it's disappointing how people still don't see that uh, that Declan Rice is being a little bit held back. I think people are saying, "Oh, this is what we bought him for." This is not what we bought him for. We bought him to do a lot more, and he's going to do it once we give him the keys. And I think that it starts with benching Thomas Party. Uh, and as it should, I think I think we have to start moving on with life without party. And I think uh, this is a season, and Rice has given the performances that show that we can trust him with those keys. Yeah, you know, I'm big in favor of moving on from Thomas Party. And I think the one thing to note, the only thing that a reasonable critic could be concerned about with giving Declan Rice the keys, as you know, Granite Shocker received as a child, is build up. Is the idea of playing out against an intense press. Can Declan Rice receive the ball with players all around him, dribble his way out of a paper bag, and break free? Well, guess what? Alex Sinchenko is the easiest pressure release valve, maybe in world football. Uh, Build-up play is his absolute cheat code, and we will have a 
some ways, a set of training wheels available for Declan Rice in that way if we bring Zinchenko in. Uh, so I fully agree. The, the time has come. Do not end experimenting, Mikel. But we do not need this Thomas Party right back scenario because Declan Rice has shown himself more than capable of bossing the midfield on his own, uh, which should be to nobody's surprise. That is what he does. He is a boss of the midfield and potentially of both England and, and Ireland in the future. Again, we are we are not so certain, but he wields lethal force. That, that is clear. Um, we do have a little extra fun segment for this one. I know we're approaching the hour mark, but we love to go over on the carpet chat. I solicited some mailbag questions from many of our beloved listeners out there. Namix claims he has not seen these. He might be lying. He might just be pretending he hasn't seen these so he can uh, you know, act like he came up with brilliant answers on the spot. Uh, I think we're going to get to all of these today, but we'll, we'll see. We might sit on a few. This question from uh, Nenny, a.k.a. Eddie and, and Eddie and Nenny, uh, we're finished? Uh, perhaps. Perhaps. Uh, perhaps the Arsenal that we know from last season is finished, and a new Arsenal is going to arise from the ashes like a phoenix. Uh, but uh, I, I expect that question more from a, a shoddy type, and in and, and all caps with a, question, with a bunch of question marks. But no, I, I think I think we're just getting started. Honestly, I think that we're we're kind of in a transitional period. That once we get the once we get the players that we the players we want or the players that we brought in to play the role that we brought them in for, if like for real, I think we're, this team's going to explode. I, I think that does segue in. I won't give my two cents because uh, our number one fan, who Roger, aka Land the Minerals, wants to know why do we stink. Is it because we're, uh, I'm filling in here now. Is it because of that transition period here? Is that why we now stink? What does stink mean? I know that uh, we're a doomsday people, but we've been playing actually very well. We just can't finish in the final third and we're having a couple bozo moments. I, I, I think we are actually very good. And I think that um, for me, it's, it's, Get Gabrielle back in there and and give Party the keys. Oh, not Party the keys. Do not give Party the keys. Take the keys away from Party and give it's it to Declan Rice. Arteta turned uh, off the podcast so, already. He already heard. Yeah, he heard a little bit of of uh, Party praise and he said, "Okay, that's enough for me." So enough. Um, yeah, so I, I think Zinchenko, Zinchenko, and Gabrielle sort that left side out and uh, pl- give Rice the keys. And you know, I think we're gonna be rolling. We're gonna be rolling goals that we're gonna score so much you're gonna get sick of scoring. All right, Namix has talked too much, so we're going to answer one that was uh, given to me. Uh, Milton in Deckland wants to know, will I be jumping back on the Unai Villa bandwagon? Now, it's important to note that I was on the Aston Villa bandwagon, not because of Unai Emery, but in spite of Unai Emery. And I want you all to know that even though I said I will not be owning my previous season prediction, Aston Villa, I think maybe I had them in fifth uh, prediction. I will always be, as long as a bandwagon contains Douglas Luiz, I will always be on it. So I never left the Villa bandwagon. Unai Emery just forced me into hiding. I'm, I'm under a cloak, hiding underneath the, uh, the Aston Villa bandwagon as best I can. Uh, until, let's see, a couple more productive ones. Let's see what else we've got here. We do have a couple. I do want to say, 
I do want to say once the transfer window closes, which we might get a little bit to today because it's an it's an extra long pod considering we didn't pod last week. Uh, I I think we it's good to maybe retouch on our predictions and see if we want to change anything. Oh, uh, we're not doing that till after the Saudi transfer window closes. Yes, we can yes, really focus. This, that's uh, what I meant by transfer yeah. window because that is that is the real transfer window is yeah. the Saudi window. Certainly, certainly. Um, let's see follow ups. Uh, here we go. Mister G wants to know. Why does Havertz fit like a glove in our system? And I, I feel like there may have been a sense of sarcasm in this question. But I'm going to answer it truthfully. I think that this role has largely been crafted for both Kai Havertz and Emil Smith Rowe. It is, uh, I'm sorry, I just said Emil Smith role. It is Emil Smith Rowe's role. It is a role that requires a level of defensive commitment and pressing that ESR is certainly not capable of currently, but that there's no reason he couldn't learn to do. And it is a role that combines elements of a kind of industrious, physical left eight for these two tall, big, strong boys with a second striker and a man who likes to make little tricky passes in the box and finish moves with, you know, tap-ins. Because let's be honest, Kai, as his biggest advocate, is not the greatest ball striker in the world. That little hybrid role... You know, I've I've heard some suggest that Kai Havertz is a, a Thomas Susek, but it is combining that Thomas Susek with finishing prowess and in-the-box ability. That is the role, and Havertz does fit it like a glove. You know, if it is a glove right now, it's kind of the O.J. Simpson glove where, you know, it doesn't really fit. Uh, but it will come, right? Once once the once the hand swelling comes down, you know, it's a, I think he'll fit that role like a glove. Uh, it I, it's interesting that you said Emile Smith Rowe because we there's rumors that he might not be here much longer. Uh, I know they're very vague rumors by syphilis on Twitter, uh, but yeah, I think we have to give it time. Not because we have to give Havertz time, which we do, but I think we need more stability around him before we start judging that that role. Um, I think that role is still a work in progress. Uh, the issue I think a lot of us have is that Arteta seems to be. Uh, seems to be working on that role and, and also other roles at the same time. So we're destabilized in a few areas of the pitch, which if that if the left eight, left 10 role that Havertz was playing was the only position we're kind of, we're kind of trying to find a way to make that work, I think we'd be getting a lot better results in terms of scoring more goals or in terms of conceding less, whatever, it, whatever the case may be. So yeah, I, I think... We have to wait a little bit. Uh, you know, they say that in the winter, that's when you wear your gloves the most. So hopefully we wait till the winter and the glove will fit a little bit better. Or at least autumn. You know, it's uh, it's cold in England, allegedly. Uh, that does segue into our next question very nicely, though. You tease these ESR rumors out and about. And Seattle Gooner, Havertz my idol, uh, I choose to believe that that is not sarcastic, wants to know. What should we do in the Discord if ESR goes to Chelsea and assists a Mudrick game-winning goal against us? You know, if if Caicedo is the build-up starter and passes it to Emil Smith-Rowe, who crosses it into Havertz, who scores a goal, um, and does a knee slide in front of the away fans uh, when we're at Stamford Bridge, you know, we might have a problem there. Uh, I, I don't. I don't think Emil Sotero is leaving unless unless we have someone lined up ready to go. Maybe a Gravenberg from Bayern Munich, which I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna speak that one to existence because there's rumors that he wants to leave, and I feel like he fit us perfectly. And uh, that left eight, left ten Havertz role might be now Gravenberg's role. Uh, but I, I just find it hard to believe where we are. We've been, we spent the last. 
Um, the last we're in, we're in September soon. So the last nine months building squad depth just to sell the guy who we we want as squad depth, the talent of that of that caliber, whether it's him and or Gabrielle, it just seems crazy to me that we're gonna get this amazing squad depth where we trust everybody on the bench just to sell one or two players on the bench that and fill them with like a with like a like a Enwinari uh, or something like that it makes it makes no sense to me. Uh, so I, I don't believe it. Um, we know Chelsea care more about the transfer window than they do the actual season. So I think their their quote unquote ITKs and syphilis on Twitter are the ones that want to just like get that click by making crazy links left and right. I just don't see Emil Smith Rowe leaving if he wants to leave. Which fair play if you want to leave and play more. I don't see him saying I want to go to Chelsea. I think he is too Arsenal through and through to say that. I just cannot believe fan media inventing nonsense transfer rumors to try to get clicks. Uh, unrelated, this is a reminder: if you're voting for the Carpet Chat and the FCA Awards, please highlight our Killing Mbappe to Arsenal episode. It is, of course, our our most successful episode for. Reasons that we truly do not understand why, why anyone wants to know about that one. Uh, a couple more questions. We'll wrap things up here. Uh, Havertz and Rice, our 4PF, had to pick his question out because obviously he was right. Granite Jaka does have four pockets full. He is the god of the German Bundesliga, and we have to highlight uh, the former Jaka is 4PF. One stays, one goes. ESR Gabrielle. I think pretty quick on this one. I think we're both we're driving ESR over the West London. Uh, is there a replacement coming in or no? That's a great question because if Bastoni's coming in for Gabrielle, then I'm gra- I'm driving Gabrielle to Saudi Arabia. So what if what if Eric Garcia is coming in for Gabrielle? Because we know that Arteta has a fetish for Eric Garcia. I'm scared of Eric Garcia, man. I, I trust He's- Arteta with center backs in particular, but God, I'm scared of Eric Garcia. I've never seen Eric Garcia do anything good in his football career, which is concerning to me. But yeah, I, I think if you had to pick one, if uh, for me, honestly. If it's it's Gabriel, just because he won't be in the Premier League if we sell him, right? I think, and and if we were to sell him, we're getting over a hundred million for him. It's also so interesting. That's the only reason. I think it would hurt me too much to see. I think I can get over the fact Gabriel leaves and we deal with whatever players we have right now. It would hurt me more to see uh, Emil Smith Rowe leave to go to the Chelsea or in the Premier League at a rival play a lot of games he would do well because he is a very good player and then we have someone like uh, it would kill people like someone like Kai Havertz which are going to be compared for the rest of their careers together if that was the case uh, so I, I think I could swallow uh, although I rather for the team's sake I rather Gabrielle be here but for my mental health and for uh, the future I think that Gabrielle going to Saudi would hurt me a lot less see I, try, I really tried to guide you in the opposite direction because I was obviously going to say to get Gabrielle out of there um in some ways, it is kind of reasonable, though. You can replace, unless you truly believe Gabrielle is the best left center back in world football, which, unfortunately, he is not. Um, I think even Namix, oh, he's, he's scoffing. Oh, I, Namix does believe Gabrielle is the best he's, left center he's, back in world I football. Think he's top, I think he's top five. I think he's top five. I think he's he's young still, and he's going to only get better. Uh, the point being, you yeah. can replace your starting left center back. It is tough to replace... And- your beloved academy product. Uh, you and need clearly, a new academy product yeah. to do that. Clearly, we have no issue not playing him, which is, I mean, I guess him and ESR both, but I think I've got, yeah, I've got, coming off 
I've got some inconvenient truths for you about Emil Smith Rowe's Premier League yeah. minutes. But this I, season. I feel like I feel like as the season progresses, uh, who's going to make? If say you weren't starting them, who would be a more of an impact off the bench? I'd assume that'd be ESR. I'd hope if you needed to use him off the bench, because how much can a center back really, really, um, really do off the bench unless you're trying to do the Rob Holding five five three two thing? Uh, but yeah, it, it, I, I think I think. Yeah, I think it's Gabriel because of the Saudi links and not staying in the league. But yeah, he's clearly much better than than Mielsen with Rook. All right, well, last big question, and I think I'll wrap things up with two quick ones, just a little bit of housekeeping at the end of this episode here. So last, last main question here. Uh, Playboy Corny, the number one Al Ahil fan, uh, again, getting ready for our move over to the Saudi Pro League. Thank you, PBC, for doing that. In our opinion, what do you think Gabriel did? And follow up. Why did he sleep with Arteta's wife? Uh, he, I mean, he slept with Arteta's wife because she is Miss Universe. I'm not mistaken. So, I mean, if you have that opportunity, you have to take it. Um, I think he also has Arteta nudes, um, and I think also that he, uh, while Arteta was sleeping, he he plucked a few hairs out of his head, and Arteta freaked out. Um, but but yeah, on a serious note, it, it almost. It almost looks like that. It's just because Arteta, fuck it. I mean, not Arteta. Gabriel got a fucking stupid offer from Saudi Arabia. And he's like, hmm, maybe I want a shit ton of money to play a couple of years before I make my move to Real Madrid uh, or something along those lines. But yeah, I, I th- I'm going to I'm gonna choose to believe it's the former and that he slept with his wife. He has nudes of Arteta. And also he was plucking Arteta's hair while Arteta was sleeping on the team bus. Uh, I, I don't think Gabriel would ever. Also, also, I need to add one more. After the Community Shield win, he took his shirt off at dinner and started ripping it around in the air, um, and it was very unprofessional. Is that a reference to uh, the, the Ganduzi Lacazette group from the infamous, maybe it was Dubai dinner and the Bozo exactly. years? That was tough. Again, I, I think... I think I've cracked this one. I, I think Gabriel, we know he's got he's got a wife, he's got a, a child. He would never betray their trust to sleep with Mikel Arteta's wife. I think it's very clear. Uh, Gabriel has become a vessel for the Bozo gene itself. He is more Bozo gene than man, and Arteta thought he could destroy Gabriel, and in doing so, destroy the Bozo gene. But instead, it, it's all gone haywire. The Bozo gene is loose within the club. It's spreading. It's It's airborne. And uh, we are truly, well and truly finished. Uh, Once again, the Bozo Gene Gabrielle take is not one shared by every member of this pod. Only one member of this pod believes that. Uh, the rest of the members of this pod are smart individuals and do not see Gabrielle as having a Bozo Gene. I think if anyone's familiar with like Metroid Fusion or the newer Metroid Dread, where you have the like Fusion, the, the X Metroids flying around and they like phase through the walls and infect all the animals, that's the Bozo Gene running through Arsenal right now. Uh, Partha, who I think is the number two Al Halil fan, he wants to know if he can come on the carpet chat and read all FFG messages that include the words King Kai. You are always welcome on the carpet chat, Parth. As a wise man once said, debate me, you coward. Uh, and if you're reading all of my messages with the words King Kai, you really must read all my messages with the words Killa Kai as well, because I use that one more, frankly. Yeah, I had uh, I used to have beef with Parsa. Uh, we squashed that beef because he believes that I have good basketball takes. Uh, but yes, I, I'm I'm all for bringing Parsa on so we can unleash his terrible takes and uh, never own up to the bad ones and always gloat the bat the good ones, which there aren't many. 
Uh, but yeah, I, I'm always welcome to have someone come on and read FFG's uh, past messages that he tries so hard to make to to never bring up. Unlike me, who I am unapologetically still a Sumare fan, which I str- swung and miss on that one. And uh, yeah, so it, I'm all for parts of coming on and, and embarrassing you. I will acknowledge all of my takes. I've never deleted a message, um, and I never will, except for the ones I've deleted, of course. All right, last question of the day. Goonerway wants to know, when is Nomix getting sacked? And, you know, I think we have to end it with this one. Nomix, uh, I didn't know how else to tell you, but I, I think this is how it has to be done. Um, we sent Shook out. We're sending you out now. We're bringing in a full new crew to continue the podcast. Uh, this was your last day. Nomix, please turn in your carpet chat badge. Uh, please turn in your carpet chat gun. Uh, I wish I could say it's been a pleasure, but uh, we both know that that would be a lie. Um, and any closing thoughts as you end your time here on the carpet jet? Um, yeah, uh, I, I, you shouldn't have given me a gun. Uh, I know this is now not this is not a North American podcast. This is now an American podcast. And this as is why we, we had to remove to an, Shook in the first place. Is yeah, that he couldn't. As have we the transitioned to an American podcast, we all got uh, we all got company company sponsored or company uh giving guns you know the progressive soup can revolver yeah 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 smith and wesson has also decided they're going to sponsor us now um it was it was a tough negotiation so as they say in the deep south you got to take these guns from my cold bloody hands and uh if you i will not i'm not leaving as as a as a famous leonardo dicaprio in a movie once said i'm not fucking leaving oh and as a a a recent spanish uh football uh leader has said uh i'm not resigning and i'm not gonna i'm not gonna get fired either so uh gunerway i'm sorry um you can keep listening to the pod and i hope you spend an hour and 12 minutes just to hear me say i'm not leaving well and once again i'm not leaving and much like in the spanish fa we expect most of our staff to walk out in solidarity here so uh we will be hiring for our dozens and dozens of behind-the-scenes positions here as Nomics refuses to stand down in the wake of his controversies. You hate to see it, you know, just the, the powerful men getting away with it once again, and no one is more powerful than Saliba Nomics. Uh, in fact, he actually is the only one with the power to end the episode here. I thought we would maybe do like a classic shook end the episode mid-sentence bit, 